Well, it's been good to be here. Hope that you've enjoyed your time. Hope that it's been helpful. And uh, hopefully, um, hopefully God does something in your heart. Actually, I, I think I'm pretty safe to say that God will do something in your heart, and our prayer is that you'll respond. Amen. You'll respond, you'll be sensitive and to what God does, and I'm excited for you, excited to see what God does. We, we need more laborers. Right. Talking to a brother, been missionary for 20 years in Honduras, Ooh, yeah, yeah, man, great, been able to start eight churches, you know, but um, man, what, what, what an awesome life. That could be your life. Say, so I don't know if I want that life. By the grace of God, He'll help you. You know what the grace of God is? It gives you, it changes your desires, things that you wouldn't even have wanted to do with your life. Amen. Just, just follow Him, just step out. But amazing to be able to share Christ with people and to see people saved. You know, people talk about missionaries. Don't feel sorry for us. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel, oh man, you're, you're sacrificing. No, I count it a privilege Amen. and an honor. Like I have, to, I have to pinch myself to think, that I'll be over to, and that's not without difficulty. I'll be able to go to a place and to talk to people and tell them about our great God, and they have never heard it. I mean, I will be able to introduce them to Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, what greater thing could I do with my life than, than to do that? I mean, because that, what that is, that's eternal. There's many things in this life we give so much attention it, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I focus so much on the temporary. So much time is spent on the temporary. But may God help us to see eyes of eternal impact. And so we're going to look in here. We're going to look today and we're going to finish the session. And the idea of this session, as you may have seen in your notes, is this. The successful life. The successful life. Listen to me. I uh, just want to introduce you to someone. Charles Thomas Studd was born in England on December 6th. 1860. That was a few years ago. Most people refer to him just as, you may have heard it, just C.T. Stud. C.T. Stud was born into a uh, fairly wealthy family in England. And also, he was, he was a gifted man, gifted young man. In fact, he was a very athletic young man. And he excelled in the sport called cricket. Anyone know how to play cricket? Crickets. All right. No. Okay. Anyways, well, it Cricket, you know, back in that day, it was, it was like what it would be here in America for basketball or, or football or soccer. Soccer, anyone? Okay, good. Okay, a few people. All right. No, but he, so he's a, he was a very excellent cricket player. He's very naturally gifted. And uh, he became very popular while he was in college, became one of the, the star players. He would have been like a LeBron James, like a, a Kobe Bryant, like a... I don't like to say it, he's good, but I don't like him. And if you agree with me, you can rumble. Tom Brady? Okay, good, good. I mean, I got to admit, I mean, you got Super Bowls, but anyways, I don't, you know, anyways, they probably were all stolen somehow, right? <laughs> Deflated, inflated, whatever it was, you know, Spygate, whatever the case might be. I'm, I'm not sure he actually got any of those. But that, that, that would have been this man, C.T. Studd. But yet he knew something in his life was missing. Something in his life was missing. And he knew something was going on there. While he was older, he was confronted. His dad uh, oftentimes would have evangelists in. And he was confronted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And C.T. Studd gave his life to Jesus Christ. Six years later, 
in the prime of his cricketer skills. I mean, when he's like a, a major figure, he is famous. Everyone knew in England C.T. Studd. He, he was a household name. He was a star. He, he, he had all of that. And in his prime, we're not talking about like once he got done and once he got old and couldn't do it no more. That would be one thing. But really, at the beginning of his prime, he left England, he left cricket to take the gospel to China. Amen. He heard Hudson Taylor, and he went to China, and he went to China, and not only did he go there, but he went inland into China. And he developed and basically learned the Chinese culture, and he adapted to a Chinese way of life and to Chinese dress and all those things. And God used his life. And not only did he use him in China, he would later go to India and see people's lives change. And he would also take the gospel to Africa. And through C.T.'s life, and his willingness to let go of his dreams and his aspirations as a sports star, because C.T. Studd could see that there was a greater treasure to be had than accolades, than fame, than fortune, he decided to take the gospel. Not only that, but his, like I mentioned, his family was very wealthy. And upon his dad's death while he was China, C.T. Studd, instead of taking the inheritance, took all of that money and gave it to missions works all around England for the sake of the gospel so that he could live by faith. What I'm saying is this, C.T. Studd, if you looked at him, you would have thought, leave a famous and celebrity type position to go and take the gospel to inland China, to face disease, to face famine, to face sickness, you would have looked at his life and you would have saw, thought, wasted. He had all the money. He could have had anything he wanted. He could, have, he could have had homes. He could have had security. He could have lived a nice, plush life. And yet, C.T. Studd, because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, because of eyes of what we talked about in the last session, eyes of faith, he recognized that all of those things he had, he might have been able to accumulate, but he wouldn't have what he really wants. And although he had all things, it's kind of like water. It kind of slips through your hands. And God helped him. And I'm telling you what, C.T. Studd's life impacted people so much today that pretty much any missionary knows about C.T. Studd. And he's famous, and he's well-known. And many times you'll hear quotes, and you'll hear a couple from us later in the message. I want to tell you right now, that, my friend, that right there, C.T. Studd's life, that is a successful life. That is a life of success. For many in here, maybe you're like me, we, we kind of fight the world and our own flesh. What is, what is a successful life? Now, if we were to ask the world, the world would measure success by this. Wealth, power, influence, Social standing, they would measure it by those things, one's popularity. How much of those things can you obtain in this world? However, those things are very, very deceptive because though all those things are very tangible things to have, whether it's fame, whether it's fortune. And come on, we can be trapped in that. We can be trapped into that. We have an idea of what our life is really success is if people know me or if I'm popular or if I have all that I want. But all those things are very deceptive because they fail to recognize that all of those things are this, temporary. Temporary, temporary, temporary. Amen. They are fleeting. 
But we must realize that if we are going to have a biblical view of success, we must have this in mind, what is lasting and what is eternal. You cannot have a biblical view of success without realizing our world lives for today and for tomorrow, and at the end of their life, that's it. But according to the Word of God, you are an eternal, ceaseless being that will not cease to exist. That we will live forever. And that we must have a far greater and a far bigger picture of this world than just the narrow 50, 60, 70, or 80 years you spend in this life. You must have a, a picture beyond that that lasts forever and ever. And so that is what a successful life looks like. Worldly success is centered on the promotion and gratification of ourselves. Biblical success is centered on obedience to God. I like what one person said about C.T.'s study. He said this, listen. C.T.'s life stands as a sign to all succeeding generations that it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. His life will be an eternal rebuke to the easygoing Christianity because C.T. Studd demonstrated what it means to follow Christ without looking back. C.T. Studd had one life, and he made it count. <clears throat> so young people, no matter how fashionable you are, no matter how social, what your social status is on social media, and how many people like your artificial pictures that you artificially set up, and, 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 and all, all, all of that really fake world, no matter how, let me, young men, and maybe even ladies, I don't know, I guess girls play video games too, I'm sure, but they do, yeah, they do. Your high score in a video game, let's be honest, how, how, how long-lasting is that satisfaction? I've never met someone that's 80 years old and said, you know what, I have lived a wonderful life because one day I beat Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, which is an old video game, <laughs> in record time. Or I hold the record to the highest score in, and then you, you name whatever it is. Problem with those things, it's, it's, they, 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 they get you because you feel like you're being successful. You got a high score, and then you got to beat your high score. You got to beat your friend's high score. You get to a certain level, and then you've got to get to the next level. And it's like they build video games now that there's really no end to it. There's really no end to it. There's always there's always another ladder to climb, another thing to go. And what you ultimately have is ultimately nothing. You're playing a video game that will be obsolete when iOS 21 is out. Or whatever it is, you know? And there'll be the new game, and there's always something new, and there's always something. And it always promises so much satisfaction. But come on, no one's ever really been like, you know what, I'm so satisfied. That's why you go back to it day after day after day, looking for satisfaction. Or whether it's wealth consumption, or trying to be hip with fashion industry, or whatever it is, whatever the case could be, or trying to have uh, the largest home, whatever it could be, all of those things are temporary, but success is measured by the internal, the eternal impact you make by following Christ. Amen. Look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 8. This is a very serious passage, and I just want to look at what does Jesus say success is? If anyone should tell us about success, if anyone has the authority, it would be 
God Almighty, who Jesus Christ is God, all right? We know this. He's the God, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he basically tells us what success will look like. And so look with me, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to lead two verses, verses 34 and 35. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> As you're turning there, how many of you want to have an awesome life? Raise your hand if you want. Come on, be, be honest. All right, just, you want an awesome life. Who wants to, at the end of their life, say, man, that was, I'm glad that I was on this earth for 80 years. Who, who, who wants to be? Okay, who, who's, you want an awesome life. Who wants to enjoy their life? All right, I think all of us, if we're honest, I know some of you are like, um, not raising your hand or taking notes or whatever the case may be. But I think if we're all honest in our heart of heart, we want to have a successful life. Well, Jesus is going to tell us how to do so. It may seem a paradox to us at first. Look at verse 34. He says this. And when he called all the people unto him with his disciples also. So here he is. He calls his disciples, but also the people. So this message isn't just for his disciples. This is, this is for all people who would want to follow Jesus. He said unto them this. Look at what he says. He says, Whosoever will come after me, in essence, basically follow me, whoever will will." Come after me, whoever will be my disciple, whoever will walk in my footsteps. He says this. This is what they're to do. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All right? So he says basically three things. He says this to him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Look at verse 35. Look at what's that first word? Four. All right. Well, that's actually really important because when he says four, he's now giving the reason why you should do verse 34. Why should you deny yourself? Why should you take up your cross? And why should you follow Jesus? And Jesus is going to give you the reason why you should do it. Now, he'll give other ones, but we're only going to focus on this one. And he says this, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. All right. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. I want you to see that. Read that one more time. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. We'll explain that here in just a moment. Let's pray. God, would you help us this last time? Pray that just in the few moments I'll have to speak, I pray for the young man, the young lady, who even right now maybe is tuning me out. God, would you help them? Would you awaken them? Would you soften their heart? Would your spirit touch hearts right now? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So basically, Jesus gives in this passage, it's going to be simple and we're going to be out of here. Jesus makes it real simple. Here is his call for all people who know him in salvation to follow him. And Jesus basically tells them this, that you need to deny yourself. Now, what does he exactly mean here when he denies yourself? Well, what Jesus isn't saying by denying himself. He's not saying you need to deny your existence uh, he's not trying to say to abandon your, yourself in the sense of that you're supposed to get rid of yourself or you're supposed to, to hate yourself or to, to despise yourself. That, that, 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about denying yourself, he's talking about, well, he's really talking about this. He's saying that we should acknowledge that we are not in control of ourselves. To willingly recognize, to willingly, we might say this, release control of our own lives. To deny yourself would be this, to acknowledge, to, to, uh, acknowledge, to, to tell Christ, to make known, uh, God, I'm not to be the master of my own life. God, I'm not to be, we could say it this way, in the driver's seat of my life. How many of you are about ready to get your driver's license? Come on, you're about ready to get it? Okay, good. I just wanted to see who I could avoid. All right, thank you very much. And uh, anyways, if you want driver's lessons, I got a big old 15-pastor van out there, and we'll go, and we'll have a really good time when the parking lot's empty. Okay. But to be the driver means you're in control. When the driver's there, I, you know what? When my family, when we go out to eat, guess what? Where I want to go, we can go. Because I'm the one driving. So they say, Dad, we want to go to this place and this place. Well, I might acquiesce, and I might say, okay, we'll go there. But ultimately, I'm the driver. I say if I want to turn left or if I want to turn right. I decide if I want to hit the brake or hit the gas, and how hard I want to hit the gas. <laughs> Only hard enough not to get pulled over, because I don't like paying money that I don't... Anyways, okay. But no, the driver has absolute control. The one is making decisions. That's the one driving. It's the one that's in control. And to deny oneself is really this, is to say, Jesus, is to say, God, you know what? I no longer want control. I want you to control. I want you to be in charge. I want you to direct my life. I want you to guide my life. I want you to be the one that says, go here, go there, say this, say that. It's to basically deny that you are autonomous and that you have your own choice, but it's to recognize that you have a great God and He is in control of your life. Amen. That is what it means to deny yourself. It's not primarily talking about denying in the sense of that you would deny yourself certain things or that you need to get rid of certain habits and you're to deny yourself of, of that. Like we might deny ourselves of, of ice cream because, you know, it's, it's bad for us. Which, I don't know why you deny yourself of ice cream because it's really good, all right? But if you're trying to lose weight, you would deny yourself. He's not talking about specifics. He's really, when he says deny yourself, he's really going for this, something a lot bigger than specifics. Jesus is going for their heart because down deep inside, every single one of us, what we want is this. We want to control our own lives. We want to be the master, the one who determines everything. Come on now. It's not just right. me. But I want to be the master. In my natural self, I want to be the master of my life. I want to go where I want to go. I want to say what I want to say. I want to do what I want to do. I am prone, and I, and I have that tendency that I want to do what I want to do. Basically, I want is what I want. And here, Jesus is saying really this, and what one person said, they said this about this passage, those who wish to follow him must be prepared to shift the center of gravity in their lives from a concern for self to reckless abandon to the will of God. Amen. If you ever want to be a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, one will have to say, I no longer control my own life. 
I no longer am going to make decisions based upon what I want, but I am going to submit. I am going to surrender myself to God and to God's will and what God wants. And what that will involve is this. You'll begin to care about things that God cares about. And you'll begin to pursue things that God wants and what God desires and what God values, you'll begin to value. It's a shift. Because you know what I value? I value comfort. You know what I value? Ease. You want to know what I value? Just being able to kick back and relax. I mean, there's really nothing better than to sit in a recliner, my feet kicked up, have a drink in my hand, have some snacks, just, just chomping it, just eating a whole bag of chips, watching a football game. And just living a comfortable life. But a life, and I'm not against some of that, but if that's all of our life is, is about ease and comfort and what we like, we'll miss what God cares about. Because you know what God cares about? People. People. You know what God cares about? His glory. His amazing glory being spread all around. And if you're ever going to be Jesus' disciple, if you're ever going to really follow Him, you're going to have to say this, it isn't about John Landy. The world doesn't revolve around me and about my desires and my ambitions and my dreams and my goals and what I want for this life. But my life, if I'm going to be a true disciple of Jesus, it's going to be, have to be all about what He wants and what He desires and what He wants for my life. And He can control every bit and every part of it. Amen. And by the way, it's not like that's a bad life. It's not like that's a life of drudgery. Some of the greatest things that have ever happened in my life, some of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life is following God's will. Amen. Come on, those youth pastors were having a blast up here, and you were having a blast too. So it's not like, oh, you know what? We'll have to sit there and be, um. We're not call- I'm not trying to get any of you to surrender to be like Catholic priests or something, okay? <laughs> Living in a monastery as a monk. No, that, that, no it, it, it's not that it is. But what it's going to take, if you're going to be his disciple, if you're going to truly... Truly be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to take this. You're going to have to abandon all of you and let him direct all of you. Amen. That's what it's going to have to take. It talks about take up your cross. I want to be very clear and I want to be very upfront with you that following Jesus will involve this suffering. When he says take up your cross, we look at the cross... And there's nothing wrong with it because we're in a different context. We're in a different culture. We're in a different diet frame. We look at the cross and we look at the cross as something like, that's amazing. My Savior, man, he died for my sins. And that represents uh, the, the, really the, the victory that he had and my sins being paid for. And we looked at the cross and the cross is amazing. But the cross, as he writes here and as Mark writes to these Roman believers, the cross to them did not represent to them something of amazement. and something. It, it represented this, shame. The cross to them was the most horrific way to die. The Jews themselves wouldn't even do it, but the Romans did it. And they mainly did it to squench and to squall, basically to, to eradicate evil doing. Because do you want to go on the cross? It was saved for the worst of criminals. That was the cross. And the cross in their day would have been identified with shame and reproach and suffering and being falsely accused and all of that. And Jesus tells his disciples... If you're going to follow me in this world, there's going to be this. There's going to be suffering. I, I wouldn't want to, to try to paint the Christian life that it is always just amazing, it's always easy, and I've always got to smile because there's also difficulties. 
But you know what? Everyone has difficulties in life. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And there is difficulties, and there is heartache, and there is difference. But I, I, I don't want to be blind, but there, there, there's going to be that. There's going to be people, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, are not going to like you. And you will face reproach. And you, at times, will be mocked. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to paint some picture. You go out and you live for Christ in your public school, and you become a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to take a stand. And by the way, do it in the right way. Don't be obnoxious about it. You know, don't be saying, "Okay, everyone in this school, if you don't listen to me, you're going to go and go to hell." That's probably the wrong way to approach it. That's how to say suffer for being a fool. But if you just take a stand, there's going to be people that don't like it. Mainly, this young people. They're going to outwardly maybe oppose you, but did you know in your heart, if you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be a bunch of people that say, they're going to outwardly say, man, that, man, that guy's radical. That guy's, well, what happened to him? But in their heart, you know what's really going on and you know why they say those things? They're jealous. They're jealous. They're jealous that you have enough courage, that you have enough boldness, that you have enough oomph in you to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of the oppression that comes, and most of the suffering we face, because people, they don't, wouldn't want to admit it, but because they're jealous or because they, uh, of something going in their heart, they will do that. But you'll, you'll, when you take a stand, you'll face some suffering. You'll take some suffering. And then he says, follow me. And Jesus wasn't calling them to stroll with him and have a nice, easy life. Jesus himself said he had nowhere to lay his head at night. It wasn't a life of ease and comfort, power and fame, but it was a life that made an eternal impact and truly made a difference. I want to ask you this, because I think that most of you probably would ask yourself, and I think you should, Brother Andy, you talk about that life, but in your heart, maybe this is what you're asking yourself, why would I want to live that type of life? And I don't, I don't, listen, listen, if you're thinking that, I don't necessarily blame you. You're sitting there and you're thinking, man, to, I, I kind of like the life that I have. I, I, I like the fact that I'm in control. In fact, I mean, in my school, people tell me, just follow your dreams as I go think about what I'm going to do in the future for a vocation. I mean, they tell me, you know, make sure you're successful and plan ahead and get a good job and have a good income and, you know, do all those things so you can secure yourself and that will be good. And you're taught all those things. Man, that sounds pretty good to me. You're saying, like, abandoning your life. You're saying, like, maybe I should consider about going to Bible college and give my life to be a missionary or give my life to be a pastor or to be a pastor's wife or to surrender to the full-time ministry. Ah, what? Why would I want to do something like that? Why, why, would I want to, why would I want that type of life? Why would I want to resign as the master of my life if I can be in charge of my life? Why would I want to suffer? Why would I want to face shame? I like my life. And for some of you in here, you say, I, I, just, I don't even really want that. Well, the reason why you should do it is quite simple. It's actually verse number 35. The reason why you should want that type of life is because of this. The only way to, listen to this, I said, the only way, according to the authority of Jesus Christ, he is your authority, right? What he says should matter? Does what Jesus say should matter? If Jesus told you something, would you believe it? 
I mean, I hope so, because he told you this is how you have eternal life, and hopefully you've been saved. Jesus says, in verse 35, I'll show it to you, the only way that you can have a successful life, what I mean by a successful life, a life of completion, a life that is full, a life that is worth living, one that is rich, one that satisfies, the only way to experience a life of success is to follow Christ. It is the only way to do it. I firmly believe in my heart. I want, I'm just going to get down here because I just want to be closer to you so I can smell you and sniff you. So these boys over here, you, uh, you get, oh, hey, you got that cool little thing there, right? You all did good. I firmly, listen to this. I firmly believe deep down within you and with me is this desire. We hunger and desire to be satisfied. We do. Every one of you are trying to find satisfaction. That's right. Every one of you, you hunger for satisfaction. You want to do this. You want to be full. That's why we do what we do. We're looking for that sense of satisfaction, the sense of being full. We want this, and the really heart of our heart, we want this. We want an inner peace. We want inner peace. We want to do this. We want to experience Pure joy, something that doesn't fade away. Because many of us experience happiness all the time. I mean, when you get Oreos, I'm happy. I mean, come on, if you got Oreos, nothing is better. By the way, nothing food-wise is better than Oreos and then this whole milk. Red cap milk. How many red cap milk people we got here? Red cap milk, all right? You, by, by far, you are, more, you are more sanctified than the rest, all right? You have now reached a new level of discipleship that I can't even really help you in. I mean, you're just, all right, no. But that, satisfaction, all right, I, I get Oreos. But yeah, oh yeah, we're looking to, be, true satisfaction doesn't go away. But I'm telling you what, I eat those Oreos, and you know what happens? I want more Oreos. And so guess what they did? They have family-sized Oreos. So instead of two rows, now you have three rows, well, then, I'm pretty good, and I can eat all three rows. Not in one setting. I might have done it in one setting. <laughs> so then they do party size. How many of y'all had the party size Oreos, right? Four rows. Is there anything after party size yet? Cost. Yes! Someone, who said that? Someone has awesome Costco. They don't have Costco in Oklahoma. I just don't, okay, they finally got one, but it's like 25 miles away from me. I, for a long time, I wasn't sure God could be in Oklahoma without Costco, but anyways, I love Costco. I got my Costco, this is maybe too much information, I have my Costco undershirt on right now. They are good. It's Kirkland brand. It is the best white undershirt money can buy. Amen. All right, anyways, I was just giving you a little tidbit in case you needed to know that, all right? That's too much information. I'll stop. Okay. Wow. We're looking for this true satisfaction. Kirkland can almost write. No, no, okay, anyways. But we want pure joy and contentment. Come on. That's what we're all looking for. We strive for it. We seek for it. We long for it. Always trying to obtain it. And Jesus right here in verse 35 basically says this. Jesus says there are two choices of ways that you can live your life. There's two choices. Number one is this, you can save your life, and what he means by that when he says save your life, not talking about salvation, when he saves your life, he's saying this, hold on to it, cling to it. 
He's saying, be the, the master of your life. In every situation, ask yourself, what's in it for me? What's best for me? What's best for me? What's in it for me? I'm going to make sure that I'm careful. I'm not going to trust, trust myself or everything. He says you can try to save your life and live your life for your desires and your passions, all those things. And you can try to save your life and you can try to lead your own life. Do what you want to do. Go to the school that you want to go to. Marry the type of person that you want to marry. Live in the neighborhood that you want to live and try to obtain all those things. Have the hobbies that you want to have. All of those things. Try to do everything. Everything. Because you're striving. You're wanting that contentment, that pure joy. He says you have one option. You can save your life and try to do everything that ultimately pleases you. That's choice number one. Where he says this, you can lose your life. And here he's not talking about you got to die in a physical sense that you've got to kill yourself. But what he's talking about there, he's talking about denying yourself. He's saying allow Jesus to direct you. Allow Jesus to determine your direction. Allow Jesus to inform your attitude, your thoughts, obedience to him. And so he says, Basically to you, and I would say this, you can boil people's lives down to two ways. Every single person in this room, in your life, you'll either do this. You'll either save your life, hold on to it, do what you want to do, or you'll lose your life and say, Jesus, you have control. You're in charge. You're the master. You guide. You lead. There's always just two choices. And he even says that. He even says that. He says also there's, there's two results. He, he said there's two results. He said, whosoever shall save his life, shall what? Lose it. Whoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake, shall what? Save it. So there's two choices, two types of life you can have. There's also two results in life. There's really only two things that are going to happen in your life. At the end of your life, either you're going to lose it, which is the idea of waste it, squander it, or when he says you're going to save it, to have a successful life. At the end of life, there's only two results. It's either wasted or it's been successful. It's been used for, for purposes that are good. He says there's two results. This, is a, this isn't just some wise saying. This is a fundamental law of God. This is a law. This is unbreakable. Because you see, you may have everything you want, but you will not want everything you have. Think on that. You'll find your life you grasped as it slipped through your fingers, only to leave you empty and dissatisfied. You could ask someone that's, and we, we could give testimony after testimony of someone who has it all. You could have everything you want, do anything you like, go anywhere, at any time, have all the money, but does it satisfy? Are you really content? Are you really fulfilled? Will you go to the grave with a sense you have invested your life well? For most people, for those people that hold on to it, they'll say no. <clears throat> Too many people say, you know what? Here's what I want to do. I want to choose the life that I want, and I also want to choose the result. So they say, you know what? I want to save my life, but I want my life to be full, satisfied, and content. Can I tell you this, people, young people? You only have a choice of which life you want. The result is then determined. This is not a both and. You can't both save your life and then also save your life. The only way to get the result is to choose which wife, which, which wife? 
welcome back 25 of you that weren't listening till then. Okay, good, good. <laughs> is you, you've got to choose one of those lives, and then the result is determined for you. It's unbreakable. It's, it's a rule. You, you can't save your life, and at the end of your life say, man, it's been successful. No, it'll be wasted, and you'll have regret. <clears throat> and so the question then to you as it goes back to that thinking, as you've talked about this life, and I see it, why would I want that type of life? Well, the reason you want that type of life is that is the only way to have a successful life. You're not someone who can break the pattern, who can do something different. Human history has shown over and over and over again, you're, you're not an exemption. You're not someone that you're going to do something different. If you try to save your life and hold on to it, you'll waste it. But my friend, if you will come to God, and maybe, maybe, you have, maybe you've got away from the Lord, maybe there's been things in your life that kind of have slipped in. If you'll come to Christ and you'll say, Oh God, I want you to be in control. I want you to drive my life. I want you to make my decisions. My friend, that's a guaranteed successful life ahead of you. Amen. The reality of it is, there's times in my own life that I get distracted. And so I want to really ask you this. What are you holding on to? What are you not willing to give up? What have you yet to surrender to God? Are you holding on to your life? To your plans? For many of you in here, you have your plans, your ideals. I guarantee you this, I wouldn't have to make this big push to go to Bible college. If Jesus just had your life, if you just would simply say, God, have control, we wouldn't have to have a pastor and pastor stand up and say, we need more missionaries, we need more missionaries. If we just have people who love the Lord, who say, you know what, God, you can have my life, you know what he's going to do? There's going to be a lot of you end up in Bible college. You know what's going to happen when someone says, oh God, you can have my life. You can use my life. He is going to work in your life. And it's not like it's going to happen overnight, but he's going to give you the grace and he's going to help you. And he's going to begin to give you a desire, you know what, to go share the gospel with someone. Amen. He's going to give you the gospel, make a difference to make a, a difference in your community. And but some of you, he's going to do this. He's going to call you to be a missionary. He's going to call you to be a missionary. He's going to call you to leave your place of comfort, to go to other people who you're unfamiliar with, and they're unfamiliar with you, and they're unfamiliar with Jesus. And your whole reason you're going is they might become familiar with Jesus Christ. Amen. And he's going to do that once he has your heart. We wouldn't have to say, go to Bible college, go to Bible college, and we're not here to guilt trip anyone. You know what I really want you to do? Just give God your life. When he has your life, when he has your heart, man, everything else is going to fall into place. You know what you're going to do? You're going to have a desire when your youth group goes out for outreach. If he has your life, you're going to care about things God cares about. And you want to think he cares about? He cares about people. And your youth pastor said, hey, we're going out soul winning. You know what? If he has your heart, you'll say, hey, I'm there. I want to be there. I want to go. When your pastor says, hey, we need some help in the children's ministry, you're going to say, oh, man, I don't really like those teens. I don't really like children. They're kind of weird, but... Uh, I just want to be used of God. I'll be there. And they're going to say, we need, more, we need more nursery workers. And some of you girls say, I'm, I'm scared like I'm going to break them. They're like really fragile. No, kids aren't fragile at all, okay? <laughs> but when he has your heart, you say, okay, I don't really want to, I really wasn't looking forward to this kid puking on me, but I guess me and my mom, she works in the nursery, I'm going to help out too, because he has my heart. 
And when, when you hear about needs and you're going to say, you know what, my, my groups are taking a mission trip. I, I want to go on a mission trip. I want to go to a country. I've never been to another country. And I, I want to go and see things. But what I really want to do is I really want to share the gospel with someone. I really want to get attracted to someone in, in another country that unless I went, no one maybe have given them a track. No, may have, there may, not, may ever be a seed planted in that heart. And God's going to do great things. What I'm saying to you is, if God has your heart, don't have to worry about the rest of it. If he has your heart, if he has you, and you're just saying, oh, God, lead me. God, direct me. You know what you'll do? You'll be willing to sincerely and honestly pray this. In fact, some of you never prayed this, and I think it's disobedient. What, what is it? You've never sincerely said, God, God, would you send me to the mission field? God, would you send me to the lost people? Would you send me? And I, and I, I really do believe, if you have never genuinely asked God, God, would you be willing to send me to those places? I believe, I believe it's sinful not to do something like that. Because he cares about people. Amen. And it, I think, you know what you should do? If God has your heart, you know what? And your pastor, and they say, well, why don't you come check out this Bible college you're going to go to? Oh, that Bible college, man. They, uh, man, I, I don't know. What could be so bad about the Bible? Where you learn about God, and you learn about sin, and you learn about the need for you to grow, and you need, learn about how to help other people. Come on, no one's ever been hurt by Bible college when they had the right heart. They, had, they were open. That doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. You may just go for one year. You may just go for two years. But God's going to work in your heart, and he's going to do something. And then you're going to find out your church needs a Sunday school helper. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, well, man, God... Our pastor said they need a Sunday school helper. I'm a willing servant. There's a need. Apparently, I need to step out and talk to my pastor about doing it. And they're probably not going to let you do it when you're 13 years old. But I'm just talking about in the future. You see what I'm saying? Because when he has your heart, when he has you, then everything's going to fall, fall into place. <coughs> C.T. Studd said this. He said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I like what Isabel Kuhn said. This is a good woman preacher. She is a uh, missionary. Uh, she eventually got married, but she started as a single missionary uh, to China. She said this, <clears throat> I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call. It is man who will not respond. And I think there might be someone in here that God's been tugging at your shingle. We don't want to force anything. I, I want, if you were to ever believe that you were to go into missions, I think you should take an approach where you talk to your pastor and you really pray about it. Because that's not just a lighthearted thing. Amen. Amen. So I'm, I'm not looking just for quick things. Not, I want things that last. I want this to be God's work. Amen. But I think that God calls. There's people not answering. But I think even more so than God calling and people ignoring God is I think many in here because you are so self-centered, because you're so focused on what you want and your dreams and your ambitions, your goals, your desires, your roadmap for life, I don't mean this mean or anything, but you're so focused on yourself, I don't think many of you could even hear God calling you to do something else because you're not even willing. Because you've never said, God, you can have everything. God, you can control it. God, you are the master. I am getting out of the driver's seat, and you are the driver of my life. You are in control of my life, 
And when he does that, I believe there will be countless young people, when we are open, when we are willing, when we are receptive, that God will begin to call, and God will begin to guide, and you will hear God's call, and you'll be able to answer God's call. But so many times we're just consumed with ourselves, and living in our own world, and all those different things, that we can't even hear that call. The only successful life is the one that follows Christ. The only successful life is the one that follows Christ. Nate Saint, and I'll close with this, probably, just in case I don't close with this. That's at, least, at least I was kind to you, right? To tell you? Okay. Honest? Preacher should be honest. Nate Saint was also one of those five men with Jim Elliott was killed. We watched the video. Nate said, Saint said this, was listening through the gates of splendor with my family. He said this, People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Living for Christ you might say, man, is it worth it? I think it's a good question to ask. When I about moved my six kids and my wife to go to Sri Lanka, I had to ask, is it worth it? Sometimes I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like I had it easy. I had a good salary. I had security. I mean, this is all planned out. And I'm going to go to another culture. Their language is like a, you know, doesn't even look like ours. Squiggly thingies. Oh, the food. Ah! Hot. Spicy. Weird. Hopefully not alive. <laughs> you know. Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth hauling my kids all the way over there? Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I, and I mean, I don't know how many times I thought about, is it worth it? Can I say this? He's worth it. He is worth it. Jesus Christ, He's worth all of my life. Every single life. I hope that every amount of energy, every year that I have, every day that I have, I hope that by the grace of God, I want to follow Jesus to the end of the world, following Him and doing His will. Because I'm telling you what, He is worth it. He is everything to me. He is all that truly matters and I desire in my sinful way just to simply submit myself to God and by the grace of God I just want to do what He wants me to do. A successful life is only had by following Jesus Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed. C.T. said also said this. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Young people, I want to remind you what we've been trying to get across all day. As the piano begins to play, that's good. I want to remind you this. You have one life. Make it count. 
The only successful life is the one that follows Christ. Here in just a moment, after I pray with you, we're going to have the invitation. What I want to do is it's God's invitation for you to respond. I would be hard-pressed to believe that God, if you're saved, didn't speak to your heart at some point, whether the first message, whether Brother Ryan's message, whether this might, that God didn't somehow work in your life, that God didn't reveal some way in which you're trying to hold on to your life, how you're trying to save your life, something that you haven't surrendered, something that you haven't given up, some obstacle that could really wreck your potential. I believe and I'm just confident that God's word is sufficient. God spoke to your heart. We're, we're failed people as preachers, but I believe God has spoken to your heart I want you to come to this altar, come to the front. It's a good step. It's a good way to just get out and to, to acknowledge and to, even in your own heart and mind, make a decision to, to have a physical representation that, that I'm going to move, that I'm going to make a decision, that I'm going to go talk to God. And I want you to come to this altar, and I want you just to, maybe this, you just need to surrender. Maybe there's an area you need to surrender. Maybe your life you need to surrender. But there's something you need to surrender your life. Let me pray with you, and then we'll send the invitation. God, I pray you'd help each one, that your spirit would work now, and that those you've spoken to, God, that they would be willing to step out, come to the front, pray, talk to you. God, I'm just confident that the only life, according to your word, Jesus, according to what you said, the only successful life is the one that follows Christ. Would you help us now to surrender? Would you help us to deny ourselves? Help us to give up our life, that you would be in control. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. With all heads bowed, eyes closed, stand with me.